I'll invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 980. We've, we've been looking at this passage that speaks of the glories of Christ for the past several weeks. We began by looking at verses 5 through 8 where we read about how Christ humbled Himself. About how although He was God, He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. But instead, Paul says, He humbled Himself. He humbled Himself by becoming a man. God became like us in order to save us and to serve us. Amazing. Christ did that, Paul says, in verse 8, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ humbled Himself and died for the sake of all those whom He would redeem by becoming an a atoning sacrifice for sin. And He did that by dying the most painful and shameful and dreadful of all deaths. Death on a cross. Crucifixion. Christ died the most humiliating death known to mankind so that He might save mankind. So that He might save even you. And because of His humility, because of His obedience, because of of His completing the mission that the Father had given Him, Paul says that the Father then exalted Him. Exalted Him to the highest place and gave to Him the highest name, that name that is above every other name, that name Lord. And all of that occurred, Paul says, to the glory of God the Father. All that Jesus does is for the glory of God the Father. Is that your motivating object in life as well? Is it mine? Do we live for the glory of God? The Lord desires that we would. May the Spirit make it be so. Paul says that the the day will come, a day called the day of Christ, where Jesus will be recognized by all to be that high King of heaven. And on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess as much. And on that day, how wonderful it will be. Because on that day, Jesus will receive all of that glory and honor and recognition that He so deserves. We were made to give glory to Jesus and to proclaim that He's Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I pray that you acknowledge Him to be as such even now. Jesus Christ had the mindset of humility and service. Service to the mission of God and humble service for the sake of others. And as we'll see in our passage today, it's Paul's desire and it's the Lord's desire also that we too would also possess and exhibit that same mind of Christ, that mindset of service, service to God and service to others. I'll start reading our passage today in verse 27 of chapter 1 of Philippians and then we'll move on to Philippians 1 through 11 focusing our attention primarily on verses 1 through 4 and and touching on verse 
5 today. Let's turn our attention again to the reading of God's holy, living, and inerrant word. Let's give it the attention that it so richly deserves. Apostle Paul writes first in Philippians 1.27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affliction and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others as more important than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is God's word for you today. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. Pray with me, please. Lord God, we thank you for this enduring word, this marvelous word that speaks of your humility and speaks also, Jesus, how you've been received back to the Father, exalted above every other person, every other name, sitting at the right hand, co-reigning over all of creation with the Father. And Lord, how we marvel that you have promised that one day you will bring all those who trust in you to yourself as well. Where not only will we live in your presence for an eternity, but that we will even reign with you. Such is what the gospel tells us. Your word tells us that you have shared your glory with us. And you will do so all the more in that day. Lord, capture our hearts with these truths and enable us to live in a manner consistent with your desires for your people. We pray this in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You know, I think we can get an accurate understanding of the main point that Paul's trying to make in this passage today by considering another passage of scripture and that's the account of Jesus washing the disciples feet let's take a look at that we find that in John chapter 13 I know you're familiar with with this story it's the night that Jesus is betrayed the night before he'll go to the cross to pay the penalty for your sins 
and for my sins. The Apostle John tells us about this humble servant Savior. Verse 1 of chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God, rose from supper. And he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Skipping down to verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and it is right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also also should do just as I have done to you. That passage as well as that passage from Philippians, I think can be summarized this way. As men and women, boys and girls who've been humbly served by the Lord, the Lord now calls upon us to humbly serve others. That's the mindset that Paul sets before us in this passage in Philippians. The Lord's humbled himself for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others. And the Lord now calls upon us to do the same. This is one of the important ways that we can live worthy of the gospel of Christ, as Paul calls us to in in 127, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Partnership and unity are two of the main theme, themes in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And in these opening verses in chapter 2, Paul explains about how unity is based on humility. The necessary ingredient for unity is humility. And for the Christian, Christ serves us both as our model and also as the source of that God-honoring humility that Paul's calling us to here. Paul begins this chapter by reminding the Philippians of what's true. He reminds them about what's true of them as a result of them being united to Jesus. He reminds them first of what he refers to as encouragement in Christ. The Christian has encouragement in Christ because of our salvation, because of the joy of our salvation, because of the comfort and the joy that the Lord gives as a result of us being freed from the reign of sin and death in our life, being freed from that sense of of guilt and shame that sin brings. We've been delivered from that shame and guilt 
joy takes their place. Psalm 20, verse 5, May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God. Habakkuk 3.18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Reconciliation with God leads to joy and satisfaction in the Lord, having become an object of His affection and a trophy of His grace. Next, Paul reminds his readers of the comfort of Christ's love. The follower of Jesus Christ is unconditionally loved by him. And the Christian is able to delight in the love of the God who delights to love him or her. Deuteronomy 7, 7, the Lord has set his love upon you and he has chosen you. Jeremiah 31, 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for sin, an atoning sacrifice for sin. Thirdly, Paul reminds his readers that they have a participation in the Spirit. We can have hope for unity because we're united to Christ. We're united to Christ by the Spirit of Christ. And that one spirit dwells in the heart of every believer. We have partnership with every follower of Christ because every follower of Christ has partnership with God, has a share of that spirit of Christ. Scripture tells us that the wall of hostility that once stood between people groups, that stood between people, has been demolished because of the blood of Jesus. Ephesians 2.14, He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 1 Corinthians 12.13, In one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and all were made to partake or to drink of one spirit. Our unity made sure by that verse from 2 Corinthians 13, 14 that I share with you so frequently as a benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, may that be with you all. Christians are united in and by that grace that comes to us through faith in Jesus and through the love of God, and through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Paul then concludes his fourfold remembrance of what's true for the Philippians by reminding them also of the affection and the sympathy that's theirs also as a a result of them being united to Jesus. This is referencing the mercy and the grace and the kindness and the sympathy of the Lord towards sinners towards people such as you and me. Because of the covenantal love and mercy of God, He doesn't deal with us according to how our sins deserve, Psalm 103 says, but instead He shows compassion upon us 
in the same way that a loving father shows compassion upon his children. Removing our transgressions from us as far away as the east is from the west, Scripture says. He forgives all our iniquities, we're told in Psalm 103. He heals all our diseases. He redeems our lives from the pit. He satisfies us with good. And He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. Such is the affection and the sympathy of God, which is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. These things all belong to the Christian through Jesus. And the logic that that Paul employs here is that if all of these things from verse 1 are true, and they are, then certain things will naturally flow out of those truths. If we've been given these great privileges, then we also have certain expectations placed upon us certain obligations that are our response, our response of faith. The Lord has certain expectations, certain desires for us of how we're then to live as those who have been made to be recipients of God's grace. The Lord calls us and enables us to share that grace and mercy that we've received with others. And that helps Build unity. The first way that Paul wants his readers to live is to live for the joy of others. Complete my joy, he says. The Christian isn't just to live for himself. Paul reminds the Philippians that he was the one who brought the gospel to them. They've received much joy from the gospel. And now Paul's asking asking them to give Him reason for joy by knowing that they are living in these God-honoring ways, by living in this way that Paul refers to as being worthy of the Gospel. In 3 John 1-4, the Apostle John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the faith. Paul wants to receive that same kind of joy from the Philippians, praying, encouraging them to live out the faith that has saved them. Likewise, we're to live with the desire to also bring delight to the Father's heart and to the Son's heart. The words of Jesus from John 15, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and thereby prove yourself to be my disciples. We're to live not just seeking our own joy, but also the joy of others. We're also to to live in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We see that in verse 2, where Paul says, Complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. And note here that Paul's encouragement begins with the words, of the same mind, and also end with the words, of one mind. Paul's showing his heart on his sleeve here. His chief concern for the Philippians is that they would have a single, unified focus for their lives, living in God-honoring unity for the sake of the gospel. But why? Why is this so important to Paul? 
Why, why, is, why is he making such a big deal about the Philippians' unity? Why should this be of interest, importance to us? Well, for one, our unity, Scripture tells us, is an evangelistic necessity. That's what Jesus said in, in John 17. I've got a passage printed out in the bulletin there if you'd like to take a look at that. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the last thing that he prayed for, the night that he was betrayed, the last thing that he prayed for before he was arrested was that we would be one. Because he said, it's through our unity that the world will know that the Father sent the Son. John 17, verses 20 to 23. Jesus praying to the Father for all those who would come to believe in his name. Jesus praying to the Father saying, I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples of that day, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And friends, that's you and I. That they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Our unity is so important because the Lord intends that it will be through our unity that the world would know that the Father sent His Son and that He loves the world even as He loves His Son, Jesus. Here I think of Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. With abundant oil representing the blessing of the Lord. And specifically the, the blessing of the Lord for consecrated service to him. Paul wants his readers to be one, united in heart, united in spirit, united in one mind and one purpose for the cause of the gospel and for the blessing of others. We see this other-centered focus also in verses 3 and 4 when Paul writes, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Rivalry and conceit are the opposite of humility. They're, that rivalry and, and conceit demand to have their own way. They're the opposite of the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.24 Let no one seek his own good or his own advantage, but rather the good of his neighbor. So we are called to unity. We are called to humility. We are called to service. Service to the Lord and service for the sake of others. Now what are some ways 
And what are some settings that we might be able to live that we're called to live out this kind of other-centered humility and service and unity? Well, first, it's in the church. This is a letter written to the church. And again, we've, we've discussed how our unity according to Christ Himself is an evangelistic necessity. That it's through our unity that the world will know that the Father sent Him and loves them. It's through our unity that the gospel will advance. It's through our unity, Christ says, that the kingdom expands in the world and also in our hearts, in our homes, in this church. Now here's another setting that these words can have great effect in, and that's in our marriage. Let me encourage you to make this passage be one of, one of your great, great guidelines, your great aspirations in your marriage of counting others more significant than yourself. Look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Amy and I selected this passage to be the passage in which our, our wedding message would be based upon. And we've tried to base our marriage upon this. And there have been a great many times where, Mary, where Amy has served me in this God-honoring way. And it has been such a blessing to me and to our children, to our family, and all who we might touch. There's even an occasion or two where I've responded and have done a similar type things. We, We don't always succeed in living this out, but when we do, and when you will, it's glorious. As we experience the blessing of God, as we seek to live for Him, as we seek to live for the sake of our spouse and our marriage, rather than living for ourselves. This passage is also a a great guiding principle in one's parenting. This is a, a great corrective to sibling rivalry and to the bickering that can sometimes occur between children. We encouraged our children with this passage countless times now 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 don't fight over that but consider them more important than yourself don't just look for your own interests don't just seek for you to be satisfied but share that think of the interest of your sister your brother kids adults too do you want to learn how to get along well with others how to live a life that's attractive to others and can lead others to desire to become your friend. And as that happens, you then are able to be a representative for Christ in their lives. When you have a friend over, kids ask them what they would like to do. Instead of making that other person do what you want to do, ask them what they would like to do. And if you do that, they will find blessing in that. And they will find joy in being in your presence. And through that relationship, we can, we can shower blessing upon them. And we can also help them to see that Jesus loves them. That the Father sent the Son. 
Friends, this is good, godly wisdom for us all. Live for the sake of others. Live for the sake of Christ and His gospel. Let's pray that the Lord will help us to do this. Lord God, how we thank you that you've united us to Christ. You've united us to yourself through granting us faith in Jesus and through the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you've given us encouragement in Christ and comfort from your love and participation in the one Holy Spirit and that you have showered us with affection and sympathy. Lord, through the enablement of your Holy Spirit, enable us to have this same mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus. A mindset of humble service to you and to others, especially to your people. Lord, may this mind, this spirit, this other-centered and God-centered mindset be ours. May you do this, Lord, for the cause of the gospel, for the blessing of others, and even of our own selves. And we ask this, Lord, in the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. In his great name we pray. Amen.